I'm, I'm glad that I can tell that story in a few years, you know. I'm glad that when, because this is TD history, and I'm glad that when some people are going to talk about the 2019 TD and, and, and say, do you remember the, the Brush Mountain Lodge armistice? I'm going to be like, oh yeah, I remember, I was there, and believe me, it was crazy. And, and, and being able to tell the story of this, just thinking about all that stuff that I could have done differently, going going home and thinking about that, this is not going to do any good. So I'd rather just get on my bike because I know that on my bike, I'm never going to think about that stuff. I'm just going to, you know, enjoy it, enjoy the riding, enjoy the landscape, enjoy discovering places that I've never seen. So for me, scratching, why not? I don't care as long as I get to ride my bike. That's Sofiane Seili. And this is the Bike Pack Canada podcast. Hey, Steve. Hey, Bike Pack Canada folks. This is Tim J. Checking in from uh, uh, Goat Pond, just south of Canmore, down in the Spray Valley Provincial Park. Uh, lovely June evening, there's a heavy snowfall warning for the Rockies, for Kananaskis, so just out for an, a real quick ride before maybe some snow tonight. Um, one of my favorite times of year, starting to see a few loaded bikes and, and riders from all over the world rolling into the Bow Valley uh, just over a week before the Tour Divide starts from Banff, so cool to see and talk to some of these folks. And an awesome, awesome experience tonight. Just had an amazing chance to uh, observe from way up high on a, on a berm along the canal here, but far down below there was a mama grizz and two cubs and just watched them for about half an hour. Pretty awesome. Anyway, safe travels, happy pedaling, and uh, we'll catch you later. So uh, I totally butchered that name, didn't I? <laughs> Sorry, Sofian. Uh, he was trying to tell me how to pronounce his last name, and I was listening, and just, you know, he says it just the way it needs to be said, and my stupid Irish mouth can't get around it, so <laughs> apologies if I, bu- if I butchered it. Hope it sounded okay. Um, yeah, I just thought I'd come out here, do some intros out here in the, in the nature, instead of kind of sitting in my basement in front of the computer in my shop. Um, yeah, what do I want to talk about? Tim, thanks for the intro. Uh, I love your intros. You have a great voice, man. You should, like, do a podcast or something. Maybe we should do a podcast together one time. If we can actually get together, (laughs) that'd be pretty fun. Um, Yeah, thanks for that intro. Super awesome. You know, I was trying to get on the, uh, get Sofiane on the podcast for a few days. And uh, just was witnessing so much negativity on the Tour Divide uh, uh, groups on Facebook and it was just kind of a bummer and, and all I can think that I, I just I think it's just kind of trolling behavior and uh, it, it seems so unjustified and so and so just out there I mean granted the people who are making those comments they may not be involved in the sport at all um, I, I don't know them I don't know who they are um, or what their affiliation is or, anything like that it's they're just people and uh, we're all just people and we all have opinions but the Tour Divide started as a group of people uh, as, as a friendly contest to race down the Continental Divide and now it's turned into this social 
craziness like it just it's supposed to be it's a good time man like these these people who are putting their lives in some cases on the line uh for personal challenge to try to ride this route as fast as they can um that alone is respectable and that alone is uh worthy of <laughs> just worthy of some respect i think uh and what a rider chooses to do, I think, along that route, uh, health issues or mechanical issues or, in some cases, issues with a rider not attaining his goals, going into a race with a set of goals and not able to attain them in one way or another, whether it be, doesn't matter what it is. And if he or she chooses to to leave the race, that's that's their decision and i just don't understand how it's anyone else's business this is their journey and uh, uh kurt refsnyder was kind of reaching out to people <clears throat> wanting to uh just kind of turn things around and get positive and, and i was that's why i want to get this pod, podcast out as quickly as i can so i hope i'm not stumbling over my words i i just was a bit bummed with all the rhetoric that was kind of being tossed around and um just un, uh, undeservedly just yeah kind of negative anyway um <clears throat> when i spoke to sofian however the vibe at brush mountain lodge is uh is awesome i mean there's i don't think there's many people there now um they've all kind of made their choices and either uh, uh soldiered on or uh scratched and saved themselves for other events that i imagine they're uh they're going to be participating in this summer um so uh but he said the vibe was really good he had nothing but positive things to say about about his experience um and uh, i really wanted to get this out so uh i'll leave it to sofian you're, you're gonna love this conversation he's a driven goal-oriented person and uh you'll hear that his passion for cycling uh it's just amazing and uh, he was so inspirational to talk to so um i really hope you enjoy this conversation with sofian and uh here he is enjoy so uh yeah you're a beast man watching the watching <laughs> this watching the start of that race was crazy i don't think i've ever seen um that kind of speed down that track before yeah uh i don't know actually my my uh it was my plan all along that uh i trained in uh was not really real training but i raced the it's divide end of april and the the goal of racing this race was well obviously like any race to win it but also it was like uh, a, a test drive to see what would be possible in in, in terms of uh, how long i can go without sleep and um it will divide was actually quite a, a gamble it was hard to hard for, for anyone to tell how long it was going to take because it was the first time that the course was that long it's live i used to be about a thousand k and now it's uh a thousand uh and 220 k's so we're all kind of not knowing what kind of strategy to have i mean talking about the, the front runners tough to to determine uh, a sleeve strategy because we had no idea how long it was going to take to tackle this uh tackle this race so i took it as kind of a laboratory to to see how far i could go how far i could push myself without sleep and 
I noticed that I could push myself pretty far. Like three and, days? Uh, was it about three days? Uh, actually, it was four. <laughs> oh, Almost four days without sleep. So, <sighs> oh, so actually, the, the, the strategy of going three days without sleep didn't seem crazy at all to me since I had done four uh, on the Atil Divide. And uh, yeah, I, I knew that there was a super strong field this year on the Tour Divide. I knew that obviously Josh Cato was here, well, Wilcox, Josh Ibbitt, Evan Dutch, uh, Kai Edel, Kim Raymakers, uh, a super strong field, like probably the strongest we've seen with multiple winners of, of great backpacking races. And I know that I race uh, better when I'm in the front. I know that I have better energy, I have better focus, and... All in all, my state of mind is is better because the problem for me of being, uh, well, not at the back, but having several races ahead of me is I, I question myself all the time on what uh, they're doing that I'm not doing. So I'd rather give like all I have and be there in front and then be like, okay, guys, this is what I have. This is I, I'm showing my cards. This is what I have. Try and catch me. Let's see if you can catch me. <laughs> so that was, that was my plan all along, just to go uh, from... I didn't know like how fast I would go, but I knew that I would definitely go either to Helena or, uh, or Butte. But yeah, definitely go more than 60 hours without sleep and, and, and then stuff. Just get a good hotel night. That was the plan all along. Yeah, like go hard and then get a good rest. And then Yeah, go, go hard, uh, open up a gap. And 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 my uh my uh, strat- strategy was was actually kind of Mike what Mike Hall would do was like op- go hard at the beginning, open up a gap, and then try to hold on to it. And hopefully also when you open up a gap you have uh, others racers kind of questioning what they're doing and um, maybe sometimes uh, uh, kind of giving up a little bit mentally like or just waiting hoping for the, the that crazy dude up there in the front to kind of a crash and, and uh, I knew I was not gonna do it but yeah that was that was the plan along I just wanted to I knew that Mike in 2016 went you know, all out, but um, kind of made a mistake because he stayed outside of Lincoln, kind of bivied, had a wet sleeping bag, didn't get a good night, and didn't get a good rest. And so when you do that, basically what you end up is just, you end up doing is just losing time because you're stopped, but you're not resting. So my strategy was like, as long as I stop, I need to rest. I want to be indoors. I want to get a good shower. I want to be in a bed and get really well rested after that that crazy 62-hour run. I don't imagine you uh, travel with a shelter when you're uh, racing. I don't, no. Yeah. no, no do, you I have, don't. do you even have a bivy? I don't, know. I just have a sleeping bag, and if things go really south, I have uh, like emergency blankets. Yeah. But no, no bivy, no... I, w- I wasn't planning on bathing a lot, actually. You were just going to get room nights if you had to? 
Yeah. Way out. Yeah. How many kilometers did you uh, ride you the mean first the, day? First, the first 24 hours? Yeah. Or, well, no, the, yeah, I guess yeah, it would be the first 24 hours. Re-averaging like... The first uh, 24 hours, I, I think I made it to the border. So that would be, that would be 400, 400 kilometers or, yeah, or 420. I don't, I don't really know. Crazy. That's I, I don't, I don't really pay attention to this. <laughs> I know that, I know that when I stopped, when I stopped in uh, Helena, I was definitely on a 400 kilometers per 24 hour pace. Right. I stopped in Helena at after 60, 62 hours and I was a little bit above a thousand kilometers. Right. That's crazy. So what kind of, um, I've been reading a little bit about you. Um, do you train or you just ride a lot? Is that kind of your training? Just riding a lot? So I, I had a different approach for this tour divide. Um, the first tour divide that I did and also the first Trans Am that I did, I went on long bike tours, really long bike tours, training a lot, doing uh, you know a lot, a lot of kilometers, 200 kilometers a day for several months. And I ended up actually showing up at the, at the start of these races being a bit, you know, a bit drained mentally because the, 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 I exerted myself too hard in, in, in training, even though it was not just training, it was also traveling and touring. So um, what I decided to do for this year was just to, so I, I am a bike messenger yeah. working in Paris and I decided that it would be my training. My training would be just working, just being out there on my bike and, and that's actually really good training because the the bike messenger job it's it's all about you know intervals yeah you're out there you you pick up a package you you ride as fast as you can then you have to stop because there's a light and then you get going so it makes you pretty strong yeah and 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 my goal was not to travel this way i could show up at the start of the tour divide eager to be on an adventure you know uh, uh, because I hadn't been on an adventure for so long. Yeah. And I think both aspects of that training worked pretty well because I was definitely, uh, I felt stronger and faster on the bike than 2016 and also 2017 when I did Trans Am. And I also was in a different place mentally uh, where I was, I was, yeah, really willing to be out there, be on the bike, uh, spend long hours and, and willing to, you know, just just tackle that trail and, and and enjoying it. That seems to be the key is to just stay on your bike for as long as you can, right? Like carry yes, everything is, you need. That is, yeah, that is absolutely the key. I'm not the fastest guy out there. There are guys that that ride their bikes faster than I do. But what uh, uh, allowed me to be in front of these guys is that I would not stop. Yeah. I would not stop. I would stop like when I stopped in Novando to resupply, I stopped and I didn't sit down a single time for the eight days that my race lasted. I did not sit down a single time. Except, I was either on, on the my saddle. bike <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I was either on my bike pedaling oh, or I was lying down to sleep. But like what you need to do when you're not up on the, on the bike is sleeping and and that's i think that's really the key especially to be uh really fast and i don't i definitely don't think that i'm as fast as the mic was but i think that 
especially this year on this run, I, I just had more hours on the saddle. Yeah. And that goes a long way. Like with all the touring, you're, you're used to being on your saddle. You just used to being there. Right. So as long as you have enough food to eat, then you're good to go. Right. You just keep going. Exactly. This is an aspect that I, I, I really train a lot for uh, going into the 2017 Trans Am. I really learn how to do everything on the bike, how to be efficient, how to be organized, have the stuff that I need. Uh, and like, for example, being able to, to change into warm clothes uh, without stopping, being able to um, just get food without stopping. Uh, being aware that, for example, on the, on, on the tour divide, there's one thing that you need to be aware of is that uh, you're going to eat when you can eat. I mean, the goal is always to be eating when you're on the bike. But for one thing that I, I, I made sure I would do is as soon as I would hit pavement, I would eat. Because when you're out there on the trail and the trail is rough, it's just sometimes impossible to do it. Like yeah, you have on, to right? hold yeah. on. Yeah, you have to hold on to the handlebars, and you can't just grab a uh, grab a sandwich or grab a uh, a box of Pringles because the, the the trail is just rough. So as soon as I would hit the the pavement, I was like, okay, now is lunchtime or now is dinner time. I need to now is the time where I need to get the food. Uh, I mean, there's some kinds of food that you can get even when the trail is real rough that you can get a bar, something like like that, Cliff Bar or or Snickers. But if you want to, you know, get proper food, like eat a sandwich, which is sometimes kind of important because if you just eat Snickers and Cliff Bar after a couple of days, you're gonna, it's just, it's just gonna be disgusted. So yeah, it was it was key for me to just okay, I I just hit pavement. Um, I'm not instead of trying to hammer down for I don't know 10 kilometers of pavement. I would like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to chill. I'm not going to hammer down, but I'm going to eat. Yeah, that's wise. And I, I agree with the, uh, eating the same thing over and over again. You get that palate fatigue. And I, I think that helps yeah. mentally. I'm sure you get a big sandwich in your face. It must yeah. be so satisfying. Right. And, and you can kind of almost take a break on the pavement a little bit, you know, you can kind of relax, stretch a little bit, yeah, kind absolutely. of stretch your shoulders out and. Absolutely, absolutely. The the some racers would have a different approach. That would be oh now is pavement now I can make speed. Oh, yeah. uh, but I don't think that it makes a big difference because that, I mean most of the of the paved stretch that you get on on the on especially on the first part of the Tour Divide are like 10k, 15k's. So definitely doesn't make a a, a big difference if you're riding it. Uh, 30k per hour or 25k per hour it's just it's just going to be a matter of minutes and and this minutes is the time i mean you, you save a lot of time you just just instead of stopping for half an hour to grab a sandwich you just you know slow down a little bit on pavement and and eat it you know like uh you're on the end of bars and, and you eat your sandwich and you're actually saving time instead of just stopping sitting down when you feel like it yeah, and it goes against your rule. If you if you're off your bike, you should be sleeping, right? So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. As much as possible, you need to be on the bike. And what I would, one of the things that I would, the the numbers that I would always uh, look at on my GPS was elapsed time as stop time. And if I had like 
less than five minutes um, of, of pausing, five minutes off the bike per hour, I was happy with that. And if I had more, I would like try and pay attention and, and try to make sure that I would correct that. And like after five hours of riding, I would love to see that number like uh, elapsed time, five hours and 20 minutes and on the saddle, five hours. Right. Yeah. That make that makes a lot of sense. And you, so you didn't bring a shelter. You just brought a bag. So you're traveling super light. Um, is that kind of what got you into trouble when you're going over the pass? No, I don't think so. Um, I, I talked about it with Evan Dutch, super experienced racer, mm-hmm. uh, uh, winner of the Trans Am. Um, we all make choices. We all make, uh, compromise we all have to choose some kind of gear that we hope uh, will be enough to to get us out there if i made a mistake it's not the mistake of the gear that that i brought if i made a mistake it was the the mistake of pushing through the night up a snowy pass that's the mistake i made but had i been uh smart enough to stop when i saw that it it was getting snowy I would have uh, I would have been okay with my uh, with my uh, emergency blanket and sleeping bag because what got me is that when I was up there the only the only ground that was available for me to lie on was the snow and the snow was just way too cold right. but if I had been able to 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 lay on 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 solid ground or on on dirt or 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 uh, just um, you know under trees with with my gear, it would have been enough. It, w- it wouldn't have been comfortable, but I would have been. I would not have been in in distress. I mean, the the gear that I choose, uh, obviously, I'm gonna obviously I'm gonna survive with it, and I should be fine if I I'm smart enough to know when to stop and where to stop. The problem is that when I made it to Brush Mountain. Uh, I checked the tracker and I saw that Josh was like 10 miles back and I started kind of panicking. I was like, this, this is crazy. He, he's closing the gap. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> he's had, chasing like, you down, man. <laughs> yeah. The night before I had like, I don't know, 40 miles. And, and now, uh, like 12 hours later, I'm down to, 10 miles. I don't know what happened. I need to keep moving. Yeah. And, and, and this is what happened. I was, I was just not, I was just too much in race mode too much. And, in, and in, in, I don't want Josh to catch me that I was not thinking straight. I was not actually thinking of the fact that I was going to be up there around probably 1am, 2am in the dark up a snowy pass and that things could, things could be dangerous nobody i don't think i don't think there's anybody that would question the decision you made to turn around and go back i remember watching the dots and i saw you turn back and i was like oh what what happened i heard about the weather and uh i live in the mountains i live in the rockies i'm actually about a two-hour drive from where you started the race but i don't think anyone with any kind of experience would 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 question you making that decision like that's gnarly. Like you're up in the mountains in the dark. Like you said, you lost the track. You're in the snow. You, you can't sleep. It's like you had to go back, man. It's like you, you you have to survive to race another day, right? 
So I, I think yeah, you made the right decision. And I, I, I absolutely do not regret that decision. And I know it was the right decision. Yeah. And, and it's just that I had, I had two options. So basically what happened is I was up there, uh, couldn't see, couldn't see the trail, uh, because the, the, when you get to the top, uh, you have several wide open spaces that are full of snow and any, any of these open spaces could be the trail. And it takes a lot of time to navigate it because this snow is so deep yeah. that it's not like you have a fork and you have three different directions and you're just gonna, you know, ride your bike for about, uh, 500 meters and see if this at the trail no it's not then you go back and then you try another one and then another one it's you have to hike in the snow with cycling shoes and try and try and find the trail and it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy to yeah. do that it's like just to hike 50 meters to to see if you can see the trail in the dark with the cycling shoes it takes just so much time so at some point, I mean, I was looking at my two GPS. I was looking at the line there. I was trying to 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 stay as, as close as possible to the line. But when I was on that line, I was just in the trees. Mm. I couldn't see anything. So definitely my GPS were not helping. I think the 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 file was not accurate enough. Uh, the GPS were fine, but but the, the I think yeah, definitely the the, the track that I saw. You only have so many points, you know, on these on these GPX files, yeah. and, and they're, I mean, sometimes they're not accurate enough. And I couldn't do anything. It was like I tried several times to, to, to find the trail. Then I, I knew that I could not do it uh, in the dark, so I decided that I would wait for the the sun to come up. So I got into my sleeping bag. And after, I don't know, one hour, two hours, uh, I started shivering. Oh, man. And I was like, okay, this is not good. I can't I can't just stay there. I can just shiver in my sleeping bag. Hypothermia is, is just going to settle in. And then it can turn south real quickly. Yeah. So I knew that I had to keep moving. And only by keeping moving, my the temperature of my body w- would go up. But the only way I could keep moving safely was to backtrack because... Keep moving just to keep moving in any direction that would be actually more dangerous and this is why i i, I knew that it was the, the the right decision and i do not regret it at oh, all man. could you still see the track back after because it was snowing so I hard could see my, I, I, I could see my track it was snowing a little bit but it was not snowing enough to mm. cover my tracks that's good so i just i just followed my my, my track and and also, what I, what I told myself while I was doing that is, man, it's, it really sucks to be ahead of the race at this point because basically what you're doing is just paving the way for all the guys that are chasing you. Ah, right. And at some point, at some point, they're going to catch you because, you know, it's, it's just so it's just so much easier once the track is done. You, you just put the, the wheels of your bike where the, the wheels of the bike that was, uh, of the guys that was before you were and you just have to push. You don't have to do anything. You have to create that, that, that path in the snow. That path in the snow for your bike is already done. It's just like a rail. 
You know, it's a rail, oh, yeah. And, yeah. and you put the wheels in it, and you just have to keep walking. Yeah, you basically and broke trail for everybody. <laughs> yeah, and that sucks. And what yeah. I was telling myself I was, as I was backtracking is like, this is not a job I want. Yeah, that's a hard job being the first track through. How deep was it? Like knee deep or shin deep? Oh, uh, it was waist deep. Waist at, deep? Some point I thought, at some point I thought it was on track and there was a fallen tree. So I climbed on top of the fallen tree, brought, took my back, threw it the, on the other side of the fallen tree and then I slipped and I ended up on the other side of the fallen tree and I, I was like waist deep in snow. Oh, no God. shit. Yeah. Well, man, we're glad you're safe. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I didn't realize too. it got that deep so fast. That's crazy. Crazy. Yeah, it's not it's not actually it's not the, the the night before I got up there and then it's not again the, the next night. Yeah, I saw some photos that Billy Rice put up and it was like in the valley. It was it seemed like yeah. it was 2 feet. Yeah. There was 2 feet of snow there. It was yeah, bananas. That's yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Also, what I was what I was uh, uh telling myself as I was backtracking is this is not the kind of race that I want to race where obviously uh, I was I was out to be full speed ahead for the whole the whole way. And I, my strategy was just to, you know, go full blast all the way. And then I, with those conditions, it would it would mean that the, the, the race would just have to be different and that it would have to be a race also about uh, when to tackle a pass. Uh, sometimes you would have to wait. Sometimes you have to think and you have to be, okay, now it's 4 p.m. If I, if I try it now, I'm going to end up up there in the dark, so I can't do it, so I have to wait. And I don't know. It's just not the kind of race that I want. I don't want to be... I don't want it to be too much about the strategy about when you're supposed to do some stuff, when you're supposed not to do it. I'm I'm just more comfortable about, you know, okay, this is I woke up I wake up, now it's time to ride, I ride, and when it gets it gets dark, when it gets midnight, one, whatever, I stop. Not I do not want it to, to be like, okay, I wake up. Uh, get at the bottom of the pass. Now it's too late to tackle it. So I'm going to have to take a nap and uh, maybe try it in six hours. And This is the kind of race that I was afraid was going to happen. And I, I wanted no part of it. Yeah, I, I understand that. And I, I think uh, you'd even admitted yourself that you're a city boy, right? You had mentioned that. Yeah, and you don't, absolutely. You don't have the mountain experience like like Josh spends all the time in the mountains. Right, so he's Absolutely. he's quite even familiar. If you, if, you, if you look at the at the at the four guys that made it through, you have a guy from Idaho. So obviously, uh, uh, Nate Jensen from Idaho is he knows a lot about this kind of weather, about this kind of conditions. Chris Lastrope from from Arizona is the same. I would say that maybe Steve Halligan from 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 New Zealand uh, is of all the four that made it through uh, that day, and I have to say day because it's definitely not tonight, uh, uh, maybe is the one, maybe I don't know him, so I'm saying maybe that, that should have the least experience with this kind of conditions. But yeah, I have, you have some, at some point to admit if something is, is 
too tough for you. And I feel like I was, I was in a, I was racing a great race and I felt really strong, but in these conditions, these guys are just better than I am. And I have to recognize that. I have to recognize that with my background, with my lack of experience of extreme weather, I'm not equipped for this, which means that on this tour divide, I was not the best. And this is just something that I have to accept. And I will accept it gladly because it's just tour divide is not just about riding your bike. Tour divide is about uh, knowing, you know, when to when to go and when to stop and, and knowing that it's better to to camp at lower altitude and wait for 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 light to to come out to tackle a pass and wait for early morning so that the snow is going to be frozen and it's going to be easier to to hike it and, and stuff like that and and I was not I was not the best for this year's tour divide definitely maybe if the if the tour divide would have been like the same conditions as 2016 when I did it and there was absolutely no mud, no snow, no, no extreme weather. Uh, maybe I would have been the best out there, but this year I was not. There were, there were definitely better riders than me. Well, I think it takes a lot of courage to admit that to yourself. You know, the ego can play a huge role into, into yeah. making, making mistakes like, you know, someone with maybe uh, uh, a too big of an ego would get in that pass and just be like, oh, I'll figure it out or I'll just bunk down yeah. in the snow. And then suddenly if it snows all night like that and you start to shiver and now your tracks are covered and your GPS fails or something, you're hooped. Then you get, you're hitting the SOS on your spot, right? And people are coming to get you. And so, yeah, no no shame in that, brother, because you're, you're home safe, right? So Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't... I, Again, I, I do not regret my decision, and I, I I know there's no shame in that, and I know that I'm 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 a tough guy. I can yeah, ride my are. bike. I can ride my bike fast for a long time, and yeah, just that in certain con- conditions, there's gonna be guys that are gonna be smarter than I am, and, and there's no shame in admitting that. Mm. But also, I'm learning. I keep learning, and this is a learning curve. Like if it happens again, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to like, if I'm on next year's tour de Vod and, and the same kind of conditions are there, I'm going to be smarter and I'm, I'm going to camp at lower altitude. I'm going to be like, all right, I can't do this at night. I don't care if somebody catches me. I'm just going to get some rest somewhere and, and, and do this by day when I know I can find the trail. And, but you know, you sometimes you fail, but when you fail, you learn. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's the thing too. I, I've only done a couple of bike packing races and the first one I scratched on, I learned so much. You learn so much. Um, and when you go back in, you just, you take that wisdom and then you go and you learn something else on the next one or so. Yeah. Super. So that how's the mood been at the lodge there? Has it been pretty positive or, yeah, it, it was actually. Uh, it's, I'm not. I'm not really bummed out because what I get from this ride is when I started it, I had no idea, absolutely no idea, that 
I could I could get close to Mike's record. Oh, yeah, amazing. I I just didn't know it. And and now I mean at some point I, I somebody told me you're ahead of Mike's record. I was like, Yeah, I don't know how that happened. Maybe it's because I went sixty two hours without sleep. But then I expected that I would get, you know, back, you know, and, and that and that Mark's record would just would just go away. And then I kept being ahead of that record. I was like still five hours ahead of that record uh, in, in Wyoming when when the conditions started started to be, you know, tougher than 2016. Uh, back at uh, Lava Mountain Lodge, I was still five hours ahead of the record, and then I started losing. Uh, a, a bit of ground because we had snow on Brooks Lake Road. We had snow on, on Union Pass. So the, the, the 2016 conditions were definitely faster. And then obviously when we started having snow uh, in Wyoming after Warm Sutter and then obviously the snow of, uh, of uh, Brush Mountain Lodge, then I knew that the, the, the record would be uh, impossible to break this year. But just despite a few setbacks that I had early, like on day one, I had a, a problem. Um, so what happens is um, I took the, the, the roots and I uh, cut it up in 21 bits, 21 different JPEG files. And the first one ended up being uh, absolutely corrupted. Uh, no. no way I could use it. So on the first day, I just couldn't navigate. I just had to stick with people. It was the only way for me to know where I was going. And I ended up getting lost a couple times and probably lost like an hour. And uh, so that was that was the, the setback of day one. Then I had a few troubles with my crank set where I lost, lost a bit of time trying to fix it, trying to buy some stuff to fix it. So being still like five hours ahead of that record despite losing probably an hour on day one and then 30 minutes or an hour on Union Pass Brooks Tech Lodge and, and spent also losing some time trying to fix my crank set. I feel like that record uh, is here to be broken, you know? And I feel that if I have perfect conditions and if I can repeat what I did on the start of this race, I don't see why I could not break that record. And, and this is why I'm not really bummed out is because I know that I'm going to come back to break it. And, and I, I'm, I'm just, what I want, what I'm, yeah, what I'm willing to, to get from this experience of the 2019 total divide is not the fact that, that I scratched. It's the fact that I realized that I can break that record. So I'm not really, I'm not really bummed out because the the lesson from this is pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the mood was it, it was it was actually a sight to see. Uh, so I turned back, uh, went to the went to the lodge. After being really scared, I, I was uh, I got really scared up there, and this this is a big part of why I scratched is because. I got real scared up there in the snow and I know that there was mo more snow coming and I just wanted uh, no part of this. And I was, uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to take a nap and then I'll decide what to do, but I'm probably going to scratch. And yeah, I took a nap 
woke up and there was uh, Josh Ibbett that was just having breakfast. And then it started raining. It started raining. Uh, Lel Wilcox showed up, Evan Dutch, Kai Edel. And two were like all five of us there. And they were ready to, ready to hit the road. And then they came back. They came back because it was just not possible. The mud, right? The mud was absolutely crazy. Like I had that. I had like uh, the next, the the day before when I was going up that path, before getting stuck in the snow, I had to deal with, I had to deal with mud, but it was mud that was caused by um, rain from the night before, but the mud that they had to deal with was. Rain from the night before, plus uh, uh, the morning dew, plus more rain that had just fallen. And, and the mud just got way out of hand. Like, you couldn't even carry your bike. Because it would weigh so much? <laughs> no, because actually the, the, the mud would build up on your shoes. Oh, right. And soon enough, your shoes would, would actually be too heavy to lift. So, and, and no traction. Right. It must be just like ice skating on like this yeah, muddy. Yeah, absolutely. Ab- yeah, absolutely no traction. Super heavy shoes, and you're supposed to carry a loaded bike, and that's like for twelve miles. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think. I don't. Th- I just don't think anybody can do it. Mother Nature won. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> so it was. It was kind of strange because you were. You had. Evan Dutch went over Trans Am. Bill Wilcox went over Trans Am. Um, Josh Ibbett, winner of uh, Transcontinental. Uh, Kai Edel, which had several podium finishes on top races. And me, won the Italy Divide. And we were all there sitting on the table, just coming to a standstill and not knowing what to do, which was really surreal. And then later that evening, other, other strong racers showed up. Like Kim Raymakers, who was a podium finisher on Trans Am and Silk Road. And it was just a bunch of bikepacking powerhouse <laughs> sitting at a table not knowing what to do because it was just crazy mud out there and the rain kept falling and then the snow started falling. And it was actually quite funny. I mean, we're, we're not depressed. We we're kind of having a good time because that's that's pretty much all we could do. And, and, and Evan Dutch, for example, is always one to crack jokes and is a really fun guy to be around. And yeah, for about, I would say 48 hours, everybody was just making plans, trying to see what to do. I think that, that, uh, uh, Josh and Kai tried several times to go back out there and hike in the mud. And every time they made it like half a mile and then they went, they came back. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it was it was abs- absolutely surreal. And Bill Rice was there, and Bill Bill Rice was like, "This is like the most insane tour divide I've ever seen." And I believe him. It's been on the it's been it's been on the route seven times. And yeah, you just you just couldn't imagine like so many strong riders just sitting at the table at Brush Mountain Lodge, not able to ride their bikes because of this crazy, crazy mud. Yeah. It's funny. The, the comments online are just kind of laughable and people are like, 
what's going on? Just keep moving forward. And it's like, well, you know, I, I have, I've never ridden the tour divide, but I know what that mud is like. Cause I have some in where I live and it's just like, you can't, you, you just, you can't get through it. Yeah. We, we kind of all read those comments and we laughed a lot because they're ridiculous because you can't are ridiculous. You can't really imagine that these guys would stop if it was possible to continue. If there was a way to keep going, can you imagine that this bunch of racers <laughs> yeah. would stop? No. 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 They're not they're not a bunch of rookies. They're not no. a bunch of wimps that they're not a bunch of fair weather riders that need perfect conditions to go out there and grind it. Definitely not. I mean so it was pretty laughable and we we, we cracked a lot of jokes about it. Yeah. And uh because yeah, what 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 do you want to do except laugh about it? I mean whether it was people that uh have done the divide or people that have haven't done it, I mean the only way you you could know if it was doable it was just to be there and try to hack in that mud. And then you would have known that it was just not possible. And, and when I, when I turned back from the top of that pass, Billy Rice, uh, came pick me up with, uh, with his SUV and we could barely make it back. Just driving in this mud, we could barely make it back. And actually the mud got worse afterwards. Yeah. And so you have people who were like, well, why are they stopping? Old <sighs> movement. Well, dude, I'm sorry, but it's not happening. No, no. Like, I think everyone made the right decision. It's, it's, it's unfortunate because the race was so full on. It's probably the one, one of the more exciting ones I've watched too. So it's a bit of a bummer that it kind of like, there's that obstacle there. But at the same time, that's, that's what that route is about. It's adventure racing, right? It's, you know, you're not just yeah, battling yourself, you're battling the elements, you're battling, you know, uh, gear and it's, yeah, you can't. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But there's, there's two sides to this. Like I was, I was kind of the first to scratch because, um, definitely I came here, I came on this divide to win. So when I turned back and, and when I knew that Waking up on my my nap that the 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 mud was not passable, I knew that I would not go back out there because it's just it's just too hard to keep racing when your goal is out of reach. It's actually actually harder to give eighty percent to reach some goal that you hadn't set than to give a hundred percent for your your true goal, the ones you had set. So. I knew it was not going back there, but yeah, I was kind of the first to scratch and I was just having a good time with people and, and kind of was curious of what was going to happen and who was going to keep going, who was going to scratch. And uh, actually, yeah, I've made my, my decision. It, it was, it was a different, different thing for me. I felt like I was uh, a part of, TD, I was, I mean, I get that for dot watchers, it was just, you know, coming to a halt. 
all the dots just stopping and accumulating at Rush Mountain. But for 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 me at least, I was like, wow, this is crazy. I mean, I'm I'm having a good time with these people because we're all you know bikepackers, like-minded, love cycling, love the adventure, love nature. So obviously, we get along super well. And and, and yeah, I was like, this is crazy. And I knew. At that time, I knew I had scratched. I knew I was coming back. So I was like, okay, if this has to happen, I'm just glad I'm a part of it. I'm just glad I'm here to witness it. Oh, yeah. And what a blast. It must anyway, have been a blast. Divide, yeah, I mean, Tour Divide is Tour Divide. It, it goes on every year. It's not like the Olympics. I don't have to wait four years if I want to do it again. So yeah. I was like, okay, I dropped that. But this is this is interesting. <laughs> this is a part of Tour Divide history that nobody has ever seen. So... Um, yeah, I'd rather be there than not be there. So for sure, but Did... yeah, I get I get that for for the dog watchers, it's probably a bit boring. Oh no, I it's not boring. It's it's uh yeah. it's just part of the story, right? It's just another chapter, and then you know, there's that, then a bunch of scratch, and then you know, other people are going to continue, and like Josh Caddo's in the hospital right now. Yeah, that's, that's dude. Cool. Yeah, super worried. Um, but yeah. so that's just part of the the story, right? Yeah, I was I was more the the take I had on this is like I was more I'm I'm glad that I can tell that story in a few years. Yeah. I'm glad that when because this is T D history and I'm glad that when some people are gonna talk about the twenty nineteen T D and, and, and say, Do you remember the the Brush Mountain Lodge armistice? I'm gonna be like, Oh yeah, I remember I was there and believe me it was crazy and and, and being able to tell the story of this, this is going to be fun. You know, sometimes races are unexpected and it's it's not just, I mean, you go out there for a certain purpose, but you have to kind of take what's coming and, and make the best of it. Yeah. I hope they have enough food there to feed all you guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kirsten, man, she almost ran out of food. She was, she was such a hero. She's the real hero of this race because, at some point, there was like 25 super hungry racers out there just eating all the snacks, just constantly emptying the fridge and, <laughs> and, and the freezer. Like pieces were gone so fast. And she was everywhere at the same time. And she had to, you know, make sure that everyone had, 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 uh, had a bed or a spot to camp or a spot to sleep. Somebody on a mattress, somebody, somebody on the couch, somebody in the room, somebody in the cabin, and and yeah, just absolutely crazy what she did. She was just so awesome. I mean, she's always awesome. She's always the the the, the absolute angel of this race. But wow, wow, the way she handled this—that is for the books, man. That is, she, she is the winner of this year's sort of ice. Yeah, that's amazing, and I think that's what makes it such a maybe a, a unique journey is that you've got just the, the people around it. The, there's so much support out there, right? Like, uh, like Brush Mountain Lodge helping people and Avondo and like all these little towns are, are so supportive to the racers that come through. And I think it just makes it enjoyable for everybody. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. I think, I think it's, 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 um, it's a nice, it's a nice part of the race. I think it's it's especially good for uh, people that are in it for the adventure. Um, I could do without it, actually. 
I uh, I'm glad it's here. Uh, but like obviously Brush Mountain Lodge, I absolutely love it. It's I'm, I've been here four days since I scrapped. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. can't leave. Chill but out. <laughs> when you're when you're full on racing, actually, is these places you just blast through them. Yeah. You know, Ovando, I was I was in and out in ten minutes. Brush Mountain, I was in and out in fifteen minutes before coming back. I, I was I, I took great advantage of High Country Lodge uh, because it was ideally uh, ideally placed for me. But yeah, it's it's I think it's it's a it's a good it's, it's good for the race. But when when you're racing really full on. It's just hard to make all these stops, you know, and make him count and, and be be able to, and it, and leading this year was was kind of hard because when you lead, you have so much support, you have so many people that come out of their houses in Montana and Eureka and Whitefish and uh, Columbia Falls, so many people that are you know on route come come out of their houses, cheer and 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 I'm like. I want to give something back. I, I really appreciate that they're out there and, and, and I wish I had time to, you know, go and talk to them a little bit and saying how, how much I appreciate it. And it's just so hard to just blast through these towns and having so much support and, and, and enjoying it, appreciating, appreciating it and not being able to give anything back that I felt that was one of the, one of the hard part of, of leading the race. And also I got a lot of people that offered me food, offered mm -hmm. me drinks and the rules of the race are such that I'm not allowed to accept it. And it feels, it feels it's the problem is not saying no, because I need it because obviously I don't need it. I always carry a lot of food, a lot of water. So when I go through towns, I don't need anything. So the problem is not, just not saying no to the food. The problem is just saying no to the kindness of people, which is always really hard. And I'm, I'm, I'm always try to be as polite as possible and try to explain. I try to say, this, I, I absolutely appreciate what you're doing. And I'm not, I don't want to be rude. I don't want to be impolite. And this is really nice. I just can't, can't do it. I can't accept it. But believe me, if I, if I could, I would. And it's, it's, yeah, that's, that's something I, I found was, really hard about leading this race and having so many people come out and being so kind and, and just wanting to wanting to meet me wanting to help and cheer and and if they listen to this I, I really want to say it. thank you so much i hope they listen to it i was going to say i would imagine most of the people that you encountered probably know they've been on the route for a long time they probably know that you know, you've got the hammer down and you got to go. You can't stop and say hi to everyone. They, it would hurt. I would, I would suck too. It would, it, it would be hard for me to do that as well because you just, they make the effort to come out and th they want to see you win. They want to support you and that'd be tough. But yeah, you've said an awesome piece right there. Just thanking everyone for it. So that's awesome. Do you know, wow. did you want to thank anyone specifically? Do you have any names in your head rattling around that you can thank? Uh, I, I I remember I remember a few people. I remember uh, a French guy uh, outside of Columbia Falls named Yves. Uh, that, that I was it took really took me by surprise. I had a lot of people coming out of their houses on that stretch, 
to support me, cheer up, and, and just to have this guy speak French to me, <laughs> yeah, that was sure. awesome. I was like, what? What's happening? <laughs> care out there. I get to speak French. It's awesome. And so, like, if, uh, if you listen to this, I want to say, like, I a hi, Eve, uh, uh, Barbara, and, and John that offer uh, free lodging to, to the bike tours of the Great Divide. Uh, between Lincoln and Helena, uh, great people. Uh, I would, if they listen to this, I would like to say thanks for, uh, you know, offering me hot dogs and water, and I'm sorry that I could not accept it. And I think that what you do for this race is for, I mean, not for the race, but obviously for the, for the people that tore the route is absolutely amazing. And they had a French guy also that was staying with them that is called Jeremy, and I would say hi to him and he supported me like he, he, he ran alongside me as I was cycling up the hill. And I was, it, I felt so good just to be able to speak French for a little bit after riding my bike for like 50 hours. And, and I felt like, you know, it's just speaking your, uh, your mother tongue when you haven't spoken it for, for such a long time. It feels, it just feels good. And yeah, it's just, this is the people I, I, I'm thinking of right now. There's probably a lot, a lot more people, but yeah, thanks to everyone who came out and, and, and cheered. Obviously, it must be like what it's what it's like on the Tour Divide when people are running. Bes- or sorry, not Tour Divide, the uh, Tour de France when people oh, are running yeah, beside. Ale, ale, ale! And you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it just just puts a big smile on your face. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. No, that's that that's really awesome. That's awesome. And that's 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 uh. Yeah, that's that's uh, what that's what you get when you lead. It was it was fairly different in 2016. I was still I was still top ten. I was usually between fifth place and eighth place, and you definitely don't see as many people. But it also makes sense because Mike Mike Hall was just so far ahead that you, you just, I, I get that people would you know come out to see the leader, especially if it's Mike Hall such a big name of the sport and then well the the enthusiasm probably you know drains out a little bit when the fifth or eighth guy shows up and and they're probably you know busy doing something else but yeah it was it was fairly different 2016 and 2019 definitely did you get to meet mike i did get to write a little bit with him at the start uh there was a, a bunch of uh a bunch of racer that took the lead, but I did not get to speak to him. Now, I just, he, he was, yeah, I think he was really determined when he showed up in 2016, really determined to beat that record. He was super focused. He didn't stay in Banff. I think he stayed a little bit outside in Banff at no contact whatsoever with the other racers. Just showed up at the trailhead. There was, there's usually, uh, um, at the at the start of the Tour Divide, there's a gathering before the y, YMCA or YWCA uh, in Banff, and from there, the, all the racers ride all the way to the trailhead. And Mike was just there waiting on the trailhead for the for the for the the peloton to come. And I think he was just really focused on what he was out there to do, and not really willing to you know mix that you know kind of a, a pre-race uh, atmosphere, which I totally get because I'm, I'm kind of the same. I, 
I showed up this year. I showed up in Banff just just the day before, just to avoid. I I mean, it it can it can make you pretty nervous to be just out there before the race for a couple of days and just talking to racers and everybody's kind of obsessing about what's about to come and and everybody's talking about the race. And as for me, it's not something that I want to do. It's, I just want to and I just want to think about something else because I know I'm going to think about the race for two weeks to come. And also I know that, well, it's just a couple of days before the start. So there's not much you can do. There's not much you're going to change. There's not, there's no point in questioning your setup, no point in questioning yeah. your strategy, no point yeah. in. So I, I totally get that Mike would just want to stay away from this because he had obviously, uh, his strategy was in place, his game plan and his gear was everything, everything was right. And he, he did great. And, and when you're so focused on an object, on an objective that is so important, it's just, it just makes sense to, you know, keep your energy and just go at it and just, uh, and he did such a great job. Yeah. It's just that focus uh required yeah, you don't want anything focus. to break your focus and i totally get the you talk to a bunch of people and they're like this and that and they brought this and that and did you bring that and it's like oh i didn't bring that do i need that do i need that and i could just see questioning yeah. everything i wouldn't want to talk to anyone either <laughs> i would just want to get out there and go i think yeah do you uh, listen to uh, podcasts or music when you arrive i do listen to music um sometimes i i, I start the day listening to music Sometimes I just start the day and then when I feel like after a few hours, maybe four or five hours, I feel like I'm kind of losing my rhythm. I just put on some music and it really helps me. Um, yeah, music is music is a big, big part, especially uh, for sleep deprivation. At some point when I was uh, during the day, if I get really sleepy during the day sometimes all i need is one good song and right. i get into the groove of, of one good song and i just sing along yeah the, the sleepiness of the morning is something that i know if i manage to fight it is not coming back so um, it's 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 usually what i do uh sometimes it's it's some corny song that i was not expecting that is on my playlist and i'm like oh yeah i'd forgotten about that song and i just just sing along and it wakes me up and then I know that the sleepiness is gone. It's it's a different arc and I get sleepy. Uh, I, the music is going to help, but sometimes I'm going to have to use different strategies because the sleepiness of when it's dark, uh, it comes back. Oh, yeah. It comes back when you have to, yeah, when you have to push. Like when I was um, on my way to Pinedale, and it took me a long time to get there. It took me, I think I left the Warm River Campground around uh, 3.30 a.m., maybe 4 a.m. And it took me about 22 hours to get to Pinedale. So I was really exhausted. And, yeah, I had to do several things, especially because the road to Pinedale is just a long, the, the last stretch is just a long paved road with nothing, no, 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 no lights, just going straight ahead. And this is the worst when, yeah. you're, when you're really tired. This is when you're going to fall asleep. Like that long straight line paved road. This is, this is so hard. So 
the music helps at some point, but then I have to find other strategies, find other stuff that I need that I need to do. But it's it's it gets sometimes really hard because even even if you know how to fight the the sleepiness, the sleepiness is such that you are not willing to fight it, or you're not you know aware enough that you're gonna fight it. You know that if you were to do something like stop, look at your phone, uh, see see if you have messages, stuff like that, it would wake you up. But it's like that knowledge is gone because you are falling asleep. Well, your body has its own plan, right? <laughs> I think there yeah, comes there comes a time biologically where your body's just gonna go. You know what? I'm done. And I'm gonna just cl- I'm gonna go to sleep for thirty seconds. I've heard about these micro sleeps that your body will just fall into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. But yeah, music music is is definitely a big part a big part of the race for me when I when I'm when I'm down when I'm not really in the mood when I'm when I found that the the landscape is boring you know some parts of the Great Basin. I just yeah I just need the music to. You. I mean, most of the time when I'm when I'm having fun and and the landscape is uh, and the landscape is is nice and 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 I'm in a rhythm, I I have the music in my ears, but I don't even listen to it. I have my own chain of thought, and and then I'm like I'm like, oh yeah, oh the song is over. What no. is this? <laughs> yeah. the song is that? I don't really know. So the music is just like more like a background, but yeah, sometimes it's it, it gets it gets really important. So what's next for you? Are you going to? Uh... Do you have any plans on finishing, like just touring it, or are you gonna bail from? So, I, I, I've, I don't really want to go back on the roots because, um, so, on in 2017 I raced Trans Am, and I had a mechanical in Kansas, and ended up losing 24 hours, and then got back in the race, but really far from from the from the from the podium that I was uh, willing to achieve. And I had this experience of just finishing for finishing and it left me with just bad memories. Ah, okay. Like the Trans Am for me is just a, just a bitter memory oh, no. of everything about it. Like the, the, I really had fun for the first part when I was in, in touch with my goals in touch with the podium and, and, and the time that I wanted to achieve. And then I had the second part where I was just, you know, dragging myself to the finish and painfully. So, oh, so um, I, I know that to do these things, you need, you need some kind of motivation. And the thing is, um, I've done tour divide 2016. I'm a, I'm a finisher, uh, finished in 16 days was in third place um it doesn't really make sense for me to to tour it again to do it again to tour i know that i'm gonna gonna come back so i just rather do something else you know i i i'm in colorado right now utah is right next door i've always wanted to check out utah oh you have to go it's beautiful yeah i what I tell everyone is, I came here for a bike ride, so I'm gonna ride my bike for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just gonna, you know, go and see places that I've never seen before because this is what I like. You know, uh, if I have to tour, I'm not, I'm not gonna tour places that I've already seen. You know, for sure. When there's places that I've never seen that are so close, 
something that I badly want to see. So um, my plan right now is just to get to Utah, uh, tour it a little bit, keep going south to Arizona, nice. and then uh, probably cross into Mexico. And I'm thinking about about maybe doing the Baja divide. Cool. But I'm not I'm not really sure about that right now. But that could be that could be something interesting, definitely. Awesome. Yeah, you'll you'll love Utah. The terrain there, it's just crazy. And the traction and the just the the vistas and the, ah, the people. Yeah, I love Utah. Well, listen, man, you look super, super tired. Shall I, the fact that I'm lying in my bed. <laughs> are, yeah. Shall I let you go? You were about to say something. Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and say what you're going to say? No, yeah. I, I was going to say that it's 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 the second time that I scratch out of a race. The first time I scratched because for safety reasons, I thought that the race was the race was not safe. Well, which one was I that? Decided that it, it was the Route 66 bike race mm. in 2016. And I got hit by a car. That's right. I uh, read that. They stitched up, yeah, stitched up my arm, and then I was I was kind of hesitating if I was going to keep racing. I was like, okay, I might as well keep racing. And then I got a couple of close calls, a couple cars buzzed me, and then I was like, no, this this is this is bad. I can't I can't do that. There's no point in endangering myself to this. And I decided to scratch. And this is the second time I scratch, and I think that better than going home and think about what I could have done differently. Like going home and telling myself, well, if I had maybe, you know, camped uh, lower on the pass, or maybe if I had tried and commit myself a little bit more to finding the, to finding the, the trail, or maybe if I had, you know, waited a little longer for daylight, just thinking about all that stuff that I could have done differently, going going home and thinking about that, this is not going to do any good. So I'd rather just get on my bike because I know that on my bike, I'm never going to think about that stuff. I'm just going to, you know, enjoy it, yeah. enjoy the riding, enjoy the landscape, enjoy discovering places I've never seen. So for me, scratching, why not? I don't care as long as I get to ride my bike. That's a great attitude, man. And I think that's why we all do this. That's why we all ride bikes and bike pack. Cause when we're on it, everything else goes away, <laughs> right? Exactly. Everything yeah. goes away. There's just no place I'd rather be than on my bike. Yeah. I hear that, man. Yeah. I hear that. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. Hey, no Sophia. problem. Man. That was so a, that awesome. Was my pleasure. And, uh, my pleasure really. Yeah. It's uh, it was a pleasure to watch you ride your bike down that track as fast as that. And, uh, and uh, you're a really cool down earth guy, man. I think everyone's going to really enjoy hearing what your stories. So I really appreciate Great it. Stuff, man. Um, why don't you tell people just lastly uh, where they can find you online? Uh, well, my uh, Facebook is uh, Sofian Saley. Obviously my uh, Instagram is uh, Sofian S H L. And uh, I do have a website, but it's probably gonna go away pretty soon because uh i just want to redo it but uh um, yeah just uh just uh instagram instagram is good sofian shl right on brother well stay safe rest up enjoy utah and uh look forward I to see, look forward to seeing some of your posts on instagram 
Great, man. Right. Bye, awesome. I want to thank Sofiane for his time. Uh, I had a really good conversation with him. I hope you enjoyed it. For those of you uh, out on the Tour Divide, I hope you get a chance to listen to it, download it when you get services, and uh, have a listen. And maybe, uh, uh, I hope it will inspire you uh, as it did me. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Josh Caddo, uh, sending out some love, peace, good vibes while you're on the mend. And uh, I just want to thank everyone who, uh, who's out there, who's listening. Uh, keep, keep sending in those uh, voice memos. I love hearing from you uh, from wherever you are around the globe. Send me, send me some voice clips of what you're up to. Uh, you can send those to bikepackcanadapodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, get out there, ride bikes, sleep in the woods, and keep the rubber side down. <laughs> <laughs>